0: Are you aware of the fact that there are some biblical promises related to Christmas that most Christians either don't know about or have forgotten? Stay tuned for a discussion of the Forgotten Promises of Christmas. Lamb
1: and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy,
0: showing how current events in the news, Relate to biblical predictions of end time events
1: and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan.
0: Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. I'm Dave Reagan, senior evangelist for Lamb and Lion Ministries. Last week, we ended our program with a reference to what I call the forgotten promises of Christmas. In this program, we want to take an in depth look at those promises. But first, let me introduce my colleagues who are going to participate in the discussion with me. First, is my associate, Dennis Paul. He now is the founder and director of Spirit of Grace, uh, located in McKinney, Texas. And we're glad to have you with us, Dennis. Well, thanks, Dave. Now, this week we have two special guests. One is Don Perkins, right here, who is the founder and director of According to Prophecy Ministries, a Bible prophecy ministry based in San Diego, California. Don, thanks for coming all the way from California to be with us this week. I'm glad to be with you today, Dave. Oh, it's good to have you. Excited. And our other guest is from the great state of Louisiana, he is Don McGee, the founder and director of Crown and Sickle Ministry. We refer to Don affectionately as the raging Cajun, and I tell you what, when he gets excited during our discussion, you will understand why we've given him that nickname. Glad to have you, Don. Good to be here. Can't think of any other place I'd rather be. Well, gentlemen, I uh, want us to get into this discussion of what I like to call the Forgotten Promises of Christmas. And to get the discussion started, let's go to the key passage that we're going to be considering in this program. It's found in Luke 1, verses 26 through 33. And Don, you know, when I say Don, we've got two Dons here, so I'm going to say Don Perkins, Don McGee. Don McGee, how about you reading that passage for us? Luke 1, beginning with verse 26.
2: Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name is Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High." And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob
0: forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Thank you very much, Don. Now, folks, I want you to note that this passage contains seven promises. First, Mary will conceive and give birth to a son. Second, he will be named Jesus. Third, he will be great. Four, he will be called the Son of the Most High. Number five, he will be given the throne of David. Number six, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And number seven, there will be no end to his kingdom. Now, gentlemen, of these seven prophecies, which ones have been fulfilled?
1: I would say the first four, Dave. Uh, First, Mary, uh, she conceived and bore a son. Uh, His name would be called Jesus. Third, uh, he would be great. And then uh, fourth, uh, he would be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus was God in the earth. He was God, uh, the Son of God. Yes, God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Well, there you have it. Just one, two, three, four.
0: Yes. I mean, Gabriel said this is what's going to happen, and that's what happened, right? Exactly as he said. Okay. Now, let's take a look for a moment at the last three prophecies that appear to be unfulfilled. Those prophecies are that he will be given the throne of David. Uh, Secondly, that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And number three, there will be no end to his kingdom. Now, what about it? Have these three prophecies been fulfilled just as the first four?
3: Well, Dave, they obviously have not, if you take them at face value. Let's consider the first one. It says that he'd be given the throne of David. Well, David's throne was a throne over Israel. David was a king. He was a leader. He was the monarch over the nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus is not ruling Israel right now. There's, uh, they have various people in leadership, but Jesus Christ is not one of those in government right now, and he's certainly not the king over Israel. The angel said he would be the throne of David. to be given the throne of David. Therefore, it has not been fulfilled. The same thing with the house of Jacob, reigning over the house of Jacob. Obviously, Jacob references Israel. He would lead and be the ruler over Israel forever. He has not even begun that. It says he will. his kingdom won't end. Well, it hasn't even started in terms of Israel. So these are promises that have been given. We know that God cannot lie, and yet they have not been fulfilled to this point. Therefore, we can only conclude they will at some future point.
0: Well, folks, uh, I would agree with Dennis that these uh, prophecies are unfulfilled. But I want to hasten to point out that the leaders of the Catholic Church and the leaders of the vast majority of Protestant denominations in the world today would strongly disagree. The fact of the matter is that the predominant Catholic and Protestant viewpoint is that these three prophecies, like the first four, have already been fulfilled. The argument goes like this. The first four prophecies were literally fulfilled in the life of Jesus, but the last three have been figuratively or symbolically or spiritually fulfilled in the life of the church. Now, what about it, fellas? Take these last three for a moment, and let's discuss that. Have they been fulfilled
1: figuratively in the life of the church? I would say no. Uh, These are literal prophecies. As the first four prophecies were literally fulfilled, uh, I would say the, the last three have to be literally fulfilled also. You know, Don, that makes a lot of sense. It's just
0: as logical as it can be, isn't it? Yes. If the first four were literal. Why aren't the last three literal? Yes. And yet, yeah. we have the majority of Christian leaders on the planet Earth today saying those last three are being fulfilled figuratively, symbolically, right now yeah. in the church. What do you think about that, Don?
2: <laughs> My question to anyone that would take that stand would be this: What what law, what rule of hermeneutics or Bible interpretation do you apply to this? It doesn't apply to any other aspect. Of, of, of New Testament Scripture, where this comes from, I, I don't know. I know why it's there. It's because they're trying to take a, a concept, a Scripture, and, and, and cut it and mold it and fashion it into a, pre, a predisposed theological viewpoint.
0: And that's where you get in trouble. Uh, anytime yes. you get in trouble. Yes. You know, yes. very true. Well, you know, uh, uh, even the Scriptures themselves, I think you can be used to, to prove that these are not being fulfilled symbolically. For example, what throne is Jesus sitting on right now? Jesus is not on a throne right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. Yes, sharing the Father's throne. Right, right. But He says in Revelation that one day He's going to come back and take the throne of David. Yes. What does this prophecy say? This prophecy says He will be given the throne of David. He is not on the throne of David right now. That's right. He is at His Father's right hand in heaven. And you know, it even says that when He comes back and takes His throne, that we will be able to share His throne just as He's sharing His Father's throne.
2: And not only that, if you go back to the Old Testament, to Jeremiah particularly, in Jeremiah 3 and 17, it says that the name of Jerusalem will be changed to what? The throne of the Lord. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's very significant when you consider the Matthew 25, Matthew 19 passages about the throne of David being in Jerusalem.
0: Well, what about this next one? It says he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. It, it, people say that's referring to the church. What about it, Dennis? Is that the church?
3: Well, no. The house of Jacob is the house of Jacob. I, I think where, <laughs> where do You get that, Dennis. <laughs> that's my personal interpretation. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I, I think where people miss it is that there are parallels between Israel and the church. For example, uh, Israel was circumcised. The males in Israel were circumcised. Well, in, in the church, in, in Christ, we're circumcised of heart. So there are parallels. But that doesn't negate the realities of the promises to Israel. Ezekiel 36, talks. God says, I'm going to give them a new heart, put a new spirit within them. We've often grabbed that promise. That's what happens when you get born again. And it is. But that doesn't negate the fact that God said to Israel, I'm going to do that for you. And so here... Uh, whatever other spiritual application you may want to make, and maybe we'll get to heaven and find out there were some. The truth is this was said about Israel. He would reign over the house of Jacob. God means what he says. He says what he means.
0: I'll what like about to... it, fellas? Uh, is Jacob the church?
1: No, no. <laughs> I would like to add to that. Uh, there, Jesus understood it so well. In the book of Je- uh, John, uh, after he did the miracle of feeding the 5,000, uh, 5, the Bible says that they pre- uh, uh, the people looked at him and they would have made him king. And the Bible said that Jesus perceived that they would make him king, and he hid himself from them, from, 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 from Israel. What happened, he would not allow them to make him the king over Israel before the time. Yes. He came first to die uh, for the world, and then later, based on these prophecies, he will physically come back to fulfill that prophecy.
2: Donnie, comment about Jacob being the church? Absolutely. I see a terrible inconsistency who, uh, with people who say that this is the church. Uh, they like to argue that we are all children of Abraham by faith, and that's true. But if we were spiritual Israel, then it would not be the house of Jacob. It would be the house of Abraham
0: that would be mentioned here. Yes. Well, what about this third prophecy? There will be no end to his kingdom. And again, this seems to me to raise a major problem for those who say this is talking about the church because I believe the Bible teaches the church age is going to come to an end. And yet this says there'll be no end to his
2: kingdom. Now, the church age is going to come to an end because the church is not in and of itself going to win this entire world to Jesus Christ. But when you go to Daniel, the small stone cut out without
0: hands that fills the whole earth is the kingdom that he's talking about right here. That's right. Yes. The church age is coming to an end when the rapture occurs. That's right. That's right. We're going to be taken out of here, brother. and, And the kingdom that's going to fill the whole world is the one you just mentioned when Jesus Christ comes back to reign. Yeah, he's going to smash all others and he will be reigning supreme. But he's supposed to be raining now. If he's raining now,
2: we're in bad shape, Dave. And he's David. doing a very bad job. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because it says that when he reigns, other nations will be in revolt. Well, well if we're yeah. supposed to reign with him, where what am I supposed to be doing?
2: I don't see me reigning anywhere. That's right. That's You're right. Not, raining not raining anywhere. I'm not raining anywhere. It's tough enough raining in my own home. <laughs>
0: Folks, those who take the position that the last three promises made to Mary have been fulfilled spiritually in the church are called amillennialists. These are the people who argue that there is not going to be any future reign of Jesus on this earth because we are living in the millennium now. (laughs) That's right. They argue that we are living in the millennium right now. In just a moment, we're going to discuss this viewpoint. But before we do, let's pause for a song by Sandy Patty called Bethlehem Morning. Listen carefully to this song because it beautifully interweaves the first coming of Jesus with the promise that He will come again. Okay, fellas, let's get right to the issue. We were talking about amillennialism, and we really want to focus in on that right now. And that particular viewpoint, which is held by the majority of Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, is that we are living in the
1: millennium right now. What do you think about that? We're not. Definitely not. <laughs> I'll give you a simple example. Uh, Isaiah 11, uh, one of the conditions of the millennium is that uh, Christ would deal with the animal kingdom. Uh, go to any zoo and look at the lion. Uh, based on the scripture, during the millennium, the lion will eat straw like the ox. Go to a zoo today and see if that lion's eating straw today. Yeah, put a little lamb in the cage. Put, put a little it. lamb in that cage and see, see what happens. <laughs> lamb, chops.
0: <laughs> lamb chops.
1: Lamb chops. Lamb chops. <laughs> well, what about you guys? Well, Handel understood this many years ago
2: when he wrote the words and the music to that great song Messiah. And, and Charles Wesley also understood it when he wrote the, the words of the song Joy to the World. We sing that as a Christmas song, but guys, that's not even close to being a Christmas song. That's, right. that's, that's a song that has to do with the millennial reign of Christ. He yeah. rules the world with truth and grace. Yes. That, that is not the case today. So th- this amillennial viewpoint is not something that, that was imposed upon the world in the fourth or fifth century and that it hasn't changed. There have been godly, scholarly men through those centuries who have understood these passages, but because of the, the Greek influence that goes back to the early church age. Or anything having to do with the world or the physical world was, was bad, was, was sinful, yeah. then that was imposed upon the church. But
0: it's not scriptural. All right. What about it, uh, Dennis?
3: Well, Dave, you know, I, I'll never forget. Many years ago, before I really knew much difference between amillennial, premillennial, or a millipede or whatever, <laughs> uh, I heard some tapes by a guy that was teaching on the amil- amillennial viewpoint. And uh, he was going along, and the first uh, tape or two made some sense. And I was starting to think maybe he knows what he's talking about. But uh, the thought came up, where's the millennium in all this? Well, he finally got around to that and basically said, uh, it's all symbolical. It doesn't really mean anything of what it says. And uh, essentially, there is no millennium. Uh, I, I couldn't go along with that. Well, that really
0: robs it, you of a lot of hope, well, doesn't
3: it? it does. You know, and, and what they do, when you look at the millennium and you say, well, what's involved? What does the Bible say about it? There's, there's really two great sources of that. One is Revelation 20, where it describes certain aspects of it. The other is Isaiah, where it goes into some of the more graphic details about it all. And when you look at that, if you, if you take it as it's written, you find that Satan's going to be bound yes. for this thousand-year period. I mean, he is not going to be active. If you're bound, you can't do a whole lot. You know, if I was to tie you up, you wouldn't get much work done, would you? <laughs> and so he's going to be bound, thrown into a pit. And the Bible says, even beyond that, he will deceive the nations no more. Well, I've been to India. I've been across the world, and I've seen some of the way that millions and billions of people are bound by false religion, by deceit, by deception, Uh, Satan is very busy. He is not the least bit bound at this point. He is active, involved, and so forth. So, you know, if you took a couple drops of Coke and put it in a gallon uh, bucket, and then you poured water in the rest of it and said to someone, someone hands you that and says, here, have a Coke. You say... That's not a Coke. You know, that's two drops of Coke in the rest of the- That's what they've done with the millennium. They have so diluted it and said, well, this doesn't mean what this says. This doesn't mean what this says. Yeah, he's Satan's bound, but he's still able to do a whole lot, essentially diluted out of existence.
0: Well, I, I was teaching on this one time, and I was talking about how Augustine, who developed this whole concept of our millennialism back about 400 A.D., uh, pointed out that uh, that Satan was bound by the cross, and he's been bound ever since then, and that's one of the evidences that we're in the uh, millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And there was a fellow in the audience just stood up right there said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute I, what?" And he says, "You're saying to me that I millennials believe that Satan is bound right now." And I said, "That's right." He said, well, brother, all I got to say is if he's bound, he is bound on a very long chain because he's always (laughs) gnawing on my leg. And boy, he just brought the house down.
2: Well, see, Peter didn't understand what Augustine realized. Because Peter said that he's like a lion that goes about seeking someone (laughs) who might devour. That's
0: right. right. Well, uh, let me uh, make another point here about amillennialism. I grew up in an amillennial church, and the only sermon we ever heard about Bible prophecy was one that said there is not one verse in the Bible that even implies that Jesus will ever put his foot on this earth again. Mm-hmm. I heard that over and over and over. And there's, he is never coming back to this earth. He'll just appear. We'll go up to meet him. The earth will cease to exist. Uh, we'll be you know, in a nether, nether land uh, floating around on a cloud playing a harp, something like that. But there's not one verse that implies he'll ever put his foot on this earth again. What about that?
2: Well, what would they do with Zechariah? Uh, you know, yeah. that that'd be kind of difficult to uh, to deal with. Zechariah fourteen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What does it say? It so he's coming back to this earth. Not only does it say he's coming back to this earth, but it specifically says he's coming back to the Mount of
0: Olives. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In his, fact, his it his says feet. when his foot touches the mountain, what's going to happen? Break and cleave,
1: It'll cleave. It, it was split. earthquake. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And verse four, uh, fourteen. Let's see, chapter fourteen, verse
1: nine says, "On king that day, of all the earth.
0: he will become what king, king over king all the, the earth." Well. Earth.
1: Fellas? I, Dave, I believe it's a physical prophecy. Again, he must fulfill that prophecy. Uh, every jot and tittle of the word he must complete. Uh, the, the Jews thought at the time after his uh, ascension, I mean, resurrection, when he, when, he, when he ministered to the disciples, they thought he was coming to restore the kingdom at that moment. And he said, just wait a little while longer. i got some things we're going to do. But he knew that there was a time where he would come back and physically reign Sovereign as king.
0: Well, another problem with the amillennial viewpoint is they say that the the millennium began at the cross, that it's going to end when Jesus Christ returns. That's been 2,000 years, and yet the Bible says it's going to last 1,000 years. They say, well, the 1,000 years is figuratively, it's symbolic, it doesn't really mean 1,000 years. What do you think about that?
3: You know, Dave, the the thing that amazes me, Is not that the liberals believe that because they symbolize almost everything. They even say Jesus' resurrection was symbolic. He didn't even literally, physically raise. uh, raise. So that doesn't surprise me. But there are churches, uh, including the one you grew up in, that hold pretty much to the face value of the Bible when it comes to everything else except prophecy. That's right. And then when it comes to prophecy, they start symbolizing like crazy and spiritualizing. Uh, so, and so they do. They take that 1,000 years and say, well, it can't mean that. Obviously, it couldn't if they're going to hold on to that doctrine. But I just don't understand how you can take every th- other aspect of the Bible at face value and then take this one section and well, just spiritualize it. Well, you made a very it. good
0: point there. Uh, it's, it's understandable for liberals to spiritualize. Sure it is. But for mm-hmm. conservatives. I mean, I yeah. grew up in a very conservative church. It taught me the Bible means exactly what it says from beginning to end unless... It's talking about the second coming of Jesus. That yeah. never means what it says. Now, how can you justify that? <laughs> you can't. And, and, and when you get over to Revelation nineteen, uh, uh, rather Re- 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 Ever- Revelation twenty, it says in verse two, "It's going to last a thousand years." It yes. says in verse three, "A thousand years." It says in verse four, "A thousand years." It says in verse five, "A thousand years." It says in verse six, "A thousand years." It says in verse seven, 1,000 years." Now, six times they. It's how said many a thousand times years? does it have to say a thousand years? It says it six times uh, there. I believe the word. One, one time, time would I mean, had, be sufficient. I've had people tell me mean, that. Well. It only mentions it in one chapter of the Bible, therefore it couldn't really mean what it says or it's not important. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if it mentions important. in one verse, it's important. Yes. Sure it is. If we're
2: not going to have a thousand years on this earth with the Lord, then I'm going to seriously reconsider my belief in His imminent return to take the church out. There is more in the Bible about the second coming and what is going to happen when He comes back to this earth than there is about the rapture in First Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. So, if we're going to do this, then let's, let's be consistent now. You know, If you're not going to believe that he's coming back to this earth literally, then we need to question whether or not he's going to come back in the air to take the church out.
3: You know, if you lived back in the days before Christ came the first time and you wanted to get the most accurate uh, knowledge you could about how the Messiah, what he would be like, how he would come and so forth, the best way you could have done that would have been to have found guys that took the Bible literally. Guys that said, well, it says he's going to be born of a virgin, I think he's going to be born of a virgin. Says he's going to ride on a donkey at some point, I think he's going to ride on a donkey. The guys that took the Bible literally would have been your best bet for understanding the first coming. Who says that that's not the case for the second coming?
0: Well, I always had people say apocalyptic, apocalyptic, apocalyptic. (laughs) Uh, And one day I read the whole book of of, uh, Zechariah, which is an apocalyptic book. And that book says Jesus is coming uh, the Messiah is coming. He's coming on a donkey. Yes. He's going to be held as a king. He's going to be betrayed, betrayed by a friend, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The 30 pieces of silver be used to buy a potter's field. He'll be lifted up. He'll be pierced. And what? Every one of those things meant exactly what they said. Yeah. And it, you don't have to be a space scientist to say, say, well, if they meant what they said. Yes. Then the second coming prophecies must mean what they say, whether it's apocalyptic or not. Yeah. Apocalyptic, I thought, was a disease. Going on. <laughs> I, I, I think it is the way some people use it. Yeah.
3: The oh. thing that is so disastrous is that if you do start spiritualizing, then nothing really means anything. I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess. There's nothing you can say definitively, and that's why those that hold to this view basically don't teach on it much. That's what they believe, but they don't teach on it much because it's, it's just so wide open for anybody to believe anything.
0: When you start spiritualizing, people love to do it. You know why? Because when you start spiritualizing, you become God. Yes. yes. Because then the scriptures mean anything that you want Well, folks, that's our time for this program. The last three promises that the angel Gabriel made to Mary are really glorious ones for all believers. Don't let anyone rob you of their glory by spiritualizing them with nonsensical arguments that they really don't mean what they say or that they have already been fulfilled in some strange, mysterious, and spiritual way. Again, the first four promises were literally fulfilled, and I think we can confidently expect the last three to also be literally fulfilled in history.
3: Let me ask you a question. Are you an heir of these promises? Do you have the promise of living with God in His eternal kingdom? The Bible says there's only one way you can become an heir of these promises, and that is to become a child of the Father who made the promises.
1: And the way you do that is by being born into the family of God, by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have never done that, then all you need to do is pray a simple prayer to God in which you would say something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I am sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I accept your son Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: And when you pray that prayer, be sure to seek out a Bible-believing church where you can witness your faith through a public confession
0: of Jesus and through water baptism. Well, folks, I hope you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near.
4: We're pleased to offer you Dr. Reagan's exciting video presentation of the book of Revelation. It runs 75 minutes in length and takes you through the book chapter by chapter. The video is accented throughout with pictures, maps, charts, historical footage, and video animations. It's available on VHS or DVD for a donation of $15, including the cost of shipping. We'd also like to offer you a glimpse of Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes. Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes is a 62-minute program that will give you spiritual and historical insight into the most famous city in the world. Order this DVD or VHS program and see three remarkable aspects of this great city, the Via Dolorosa, the Tombs of Jerusalem, and the Gates of Jerusalem. In part one, the Via Dolorosa, you'll see how the city walls have changed after multiple destructions and reconstructions. It takes a close look at the route that Jesus took on his last hours before the crucifixion. You'll see a garden tomb that closely fits the biblical record and a site that looks remarkably like a human skull. In part two, we visit the tombs of famous people of the Bible, such as Rachel, Absalom, King David and many more. We'll also introduce you to people instrumental in the formation of modern Israel. In part three, you'll learn about the historical and biblical significance of each of the eight gates into the walled city and what role each has played in the ever-changing spiritual landscape of Jerusalem. To get your copy on DVD or VHS tape for a gift of $15 or more, call the number on the screen and ask for Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes. Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes demonstrates how biblical history, Bible prophecy, and current events all interrelate, which brings a tremendous faith building Experience. So, for a gift of $15 or more, you can have Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes. Call 1 800 225 7977 and ask for Jerusalem Through Spiritual Eyes on DVD or VHS tape. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus soon return. Thank you, and God bless you.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated
1: to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.